Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out recent guests and conversations from JM in the AM. Yaakov Berg was recently with us. The Secretary of State of the United States visited his winery, the Psagot Winery in Israel, and he told us all about it. Yaakov Berg, our guest on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Tuesday morning broadcast, while many of you are aware of the fact that the Secretary of State of the United States... Mike Pompeo was uh, in Israel last week. He made history by becoming the first top American diplomat to visit a quote-unquote Israeli settlement in the quote-unquote West Bank as the U.S. announced in a major policy shift that products from the occupied area, again, quote-unquote, can be labeled made in Israel. A State Department official speaking on condition of anonymity confirmed Pompeo's visit to Psagot Winery near Jerusalem to reporters who were traveling with him, but were not allowed to join that part of the visit. Well, Yaakov Berg, who owns the Psagot Winery, has been a great friend of ours for a long, long time, and we were anxious to speak with him about this historic encounter with the Secretary of State of the United States. Yaakov Berg, shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom, shalom, Nachum, how are you? Baruch Hashem, Akob there. It's great to speak with you. Oh, so good to hear I, I got to start with the following. We'll, we'll get to the Secretary of State in a moment, uh, but just as a uh, as a general question, which everyone asks these days, is the Psagot Winery that we know is usually so active, so incredible, and in sending wine everywhere, uh, is it able to make it through this very challenging COVID nineteen situation? Sure, it's not uh, it's not easy days. Uh, you know, I think to all of us, to everybody, the whole world. Have the same have the same difficulties and problems. Yeah. We try our best, and and yes, I mean you know in Israel the situation is that uh, the visitor center and uh, the events it's, uh, we close, we, we we cannot do it. But uh, thank God we can produce wine and we send it all over the world. And I hope you in America you still can drink. Yes. I'll tell you, th- these days it's one of the things that people are doing is drinking. Good. I'm happy to hear so. You know, it was both calling you now to know that you still you still can drink, you know. And we love the wines from Psygoat, and uh, we know you, Thank conti- you. We know you continue to make uh, amazing uh, quality wines, and it's much appreciated. Now, now, when did you find out that the Secretary of State would put Psygoat Winery on his itinerary? Wow, uh, we got we, we, like about a, a, a week and a half before 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 his visit. We got uh, uh, from the embassy here, from the U.S. embassy here in Israel. We got uh, actually everything was really in secret. We couldn't talk about it. They asked us to keep it um, quiet, yeah. uh, of course, because of the security and a lot of different issues, and they didn't want that somebody will come and destroy the, the, the party, and it really was a big party. Uh, so, yeah, something like that. And when he when he was there, the statements that we are now familiar with, the Made in Israel statements, as opposed to all those BDSers who, you know, are, are calling for a different type of labeling from Judea and Samaria, and in general speaking about that, that area of Israel, those statements were made literally at your winery, right? Yeah. I mean, they just, yeah, of course, the State Department, you know, like in America, that you know to do things more... Uh, Organized than the Israelis, so in the moment that the Secretary of State left the winery, the, the State Department released that statement. Wow! And I, I really think that it's. A, I want to point out that it's 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 a, it's a really historical statement and historical day, because what the Secretary of State actually did, it's not just that you know announced something. The Secretary of State of United States say that. Our connection to those lands, to, to Judea and Samaria, it's an historical connection. Nobody can say anymore that we, you know, steal those lands, we conquer it from somebody, that we came to a place that we don't have any real connection to. And so he changed, not, he didn't say something that it's a polit- political statement. He says that the simple truth that I think 
all of us know. I mean, all of us that if you read the Sefer Bereshit, from Bereshit mm-hmm. to the end of the Tanakh, you know that, you know, those lands belong to the Jewish people. It's something that is so simple, but I must say that for for a decade, it, was, it, it wasn't so clear to to the, to the rest of the world. You know, when I've been in Paris, in London, and some days also in Washington, people think completely differently. And, and, and this is something that the Secretary of State really changed. You know, it's funny. Yaakov Berg is with us, Psagot Winery in Israel. You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this. When I visit you, when I come with my team to the Psagot Winery, uh, it, it's not just a visit to taste wine to see what's happening in 2020. You always keep in mind, and those who are who are who are welcoming us always emphasize the history of the area. And as you just said, starting with you know the era of Avraham Avinu, and yeah, that yeah, we- that's why what happened last week. I felt for you was so much more significant. Yes, it's difficult. You go to Washington, Paris, everywhere else. You don't like the criticism. I get it, of course. Who would want to, you know, sit through, you know, false accusations? Let's put it that way. But for you, there's so much history, and you take the history of the area so seriously. That's why this historic moment I felt for you would be so significant. I I, I agree 100. percent You know, one of the uh, the presents, the the gift that we gave to the Secretary of State, one of them being the coin that we we put on, you know, we put a replica of that on, right. on each of our wine bottle. That right. it's a it's a coin from year '67. I see, you know, almost 2,000 years ago, we came back again in year '67 to right. to to those lands, right. and it's written there for the freedom of Zion because you know Jews been fighting the Romans back then, and you can see on that coin. A wine leaf on one side, and on the other side, you can see amphora. It's actually an ancient wine bottle. How somebody can come and say that we don't have any, you know, our grand-grand-grandparents grow vines and produce wonderful wines really here. So, yeah, I agree. It was For me, it was real, you know, I, I, I don't know. Listen, I have tears, and I think the Secretary of State that is a you know, he's a tough guy. He used to be, I think, the head of the CIA. He, right. he deal with the Chinese, the, the Russian. He's not, you know what he's doing. Right. But I think both of us have tears in our eyes because we felt that it's a historical moment. And we gave him also the declaration, the statement of Cyrus, Koresh in Hebrew, and we saw, and Balfour declaration. And we saw, we saw it like, you know, it's a one line that people coming from abroad and saying the simple truth. Those lands belong to the Jewish people, and we have the rights to come here and to produce wine, and just to come back to our homeland. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you, you, Balfour's just over 100 years ago, and you said in your statement in the press that we read that this Pompeo statement will be spoken about 100 years from now, and the truth is you're right. It's on that level. It's on that historic level. Uh, now, did you, actually, yeah, we, did you actually make a wine in his honor? Is there a Psagot Pompeo wine, or did you name it something yeah. else? What's the story? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I we said to the Secretary of State that we're lucky that, you know, his name is Pompeo. Uh, imagine that his name was, I don't know, uh, Zalmanovich. We cannot put it on a wine, wine bottle. You know, it's a really bad name for, for wine. Pompeo, first of all, it's a great name. But more than that, uh, we did it after... Actually, a year ago, that uh, when the you know when when the European Court of what they call justice announced that we must be labeled as as occupied territory, so the Secretary of State came with his statement. So we want to honor him, and we believe we, we you know we believing that we need that everybody need to know about it. So we 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 we, we named the wine under his name, and we send it to in, to Washington almost everywhere. To people that love him, and senators and and and, and congressmen that I think don't like him so much. Actually, nobody. I must say that nobody returned the wine. I think they. It was a good. They like it. Yeah. However, <laughs> and I think he saw it, and 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 he also felt that, and he gave us the honor to come to our winery. It was a private tour. He says he didn't want any politician, nobody. He just came with his lovely wife, and and I must say, he. They are such special people. They believe in what we believe in. They have warm, you know, huge love, huge heart for Israel. 
they want to to know. They will ask questions. It's not something that you know. Sometimes politicians do. It's not the case, and and, and it was unbelievable really to see it. Yaakov Berg uh, owns the Psagot Winery in Israel. Uh, the Psagot wines, uh, for many of you who are familiar with kosher wines in this area and around the world, are making their mark continuously. It's an amazing visit if we get back there, and I hope we get back there soon. Bezrat Hashem. I hope by this summer you'll be able to welcome visitors to your visitor's center again. It's one of the nicest ways to spend the day in Israel, frankly. Yes, yes. Uh, Nachum, listen, we had a new winery, a new visitor center. It's next, really close, but you know, from the old one. But it's it's great. It's unbelievable. I invite. I mean, I think only we talking, so nobody nobody listening. I invite <laughs> you and your family, only you and uh, okay, and uh, and your friends really to come and to take a look it will be easier to, to fly I will come to see you You come. To, everybody will come to see us very soon yeah, you could say that again we look forward to welcoming you we look forward to being welcomed over there finally I can't let you go give me a recommendation tell me give me a wine available in the New York New Jersey area that people need to pay more attention to which bottle would you say they need to pay more attention to it yeah pick pick we have uh, it's not so, you know it's not so new. It's about a year and a half, two years already in the market. Uh, it just got from the counter uh, the best score for Israeli wine for very very nice score, 95. Wow! And I think it's a very nice, very nice glass of wine. You know, it's I think it starts to be cold in your area, so it's wonderful now. And what is the what's the official name of the bottle? Peak, peak, peak. It's actually the Sagot in Hebrew. It's the peak of the mountain. Uh, so it's like it. it's like you know. So it's called peak. Yeah, P e a k. I get it. Uh, Sagot exactly. Winery, everybody. Yaakov Berg, and everyone put it on your Thank itinerary you so when you finally much. get to Israel. Thank you so much. And Kolak Avod, uh, you had a real opportunity to make a kiddush Hashem with the Secretary of State uh, of the United States, and you uh, and you certainly did. And Yaakov, uh, uh, it's great to speak to you. And Todaraba. Yaakov Berg, owner of the Psagot Winery in Israel, part of history. A hundred years from now, when they ask, where did Secretary of State Mike Pompeo make this declaration? That if it's Judea and Samaria that's producing uh, a product, it should say made in Israel. The answer will be at the Psagot Winery in, um, in that area of our wonderful state of Israel and our beautiful homeland. 13 minutes before... 8 o'clock, you're listening to a Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Yaakov Berg of the Psagot Winery. Next up, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. He's written an amazing book about Hafrashas Chala. My conversation with Rabbi Nachman Seltzer recently took place on JM in the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. By the way, I shortchanged Rabbi Seltzer. I spoke with him off the air a minute ago. He'll join us in a minute. And I said he wrote 22 books. According to the back of the brand new one, he has 24, uh, including the one entitled A Tiny Taste of Heaven. And all of Ray Seltzer's books and all of the Art Scroll 3000 titles are available now at artscroll.com. Use promo code RADIO to enjoy a 20% discount, free shipping, and no minimum. That's pretty amazing. 20% off, free shipping, no minimum. Use promo code RADIO for any title. Uh, over at artscroll.com. It's got to be a book. It's got to be a book, any title at artscroll.com, including the incredible collection of books by Nachman Seltzer, who's going to join us in just a second. So go to artscroll.com for details and enjoy. Uh, Thursday, Avrami sits in for me. Tomorrow, we'll have the live lunch from our studio here in New York. See, that that was the trade. Avrami does the uh, Thanksgiving show from Israel, and we'll do the live lunch tomorrow, which normally we would do on a Thursday uh, tomorrow live starting at 11 a.m. from here in New York City. So a little bit of a programming switch because of Thanksgiving week. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us live via telephone. The brand new book is entitled A Tiny Taste of Heaven. Amazing stories about the power of Hafrashas Chala. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's always great to be on your show. I appreciate that. It seems like yesterday that we were talking about <laughs> our man in Jerusalem and Rebetzin Youngreis. Wasn't that practically yesterday, Rabbi Seltzer? 
I have a feeling it's like deja vu. I just feel like we just spoke. I mean, yes. <laughs> not only that, when you release a book, it must feel like you just released one a few a few weeks <laughs> earlier. The way, the way you're I, going, it's a funny thing. What can I tell you? It's a funny thing. If I made a kiddish every time, you know what I mean? It would be like <laughs> like you know one of those people that have 15 kids. You know, they make a kiddish every six months. You know? <laughs> it would it would be an expensive hobby if you would, if you would implement that custom uh, because now you're at 25 books. Uh, uh, 24 books, Bliyayn Hara. Uh, it's interesting. If you would have spoken to me an hour ago, I would have done this interview differently. But I've had time to digest, excuse the pun, I've had time to digest the topic of your book now after you know a few days of having it and, uh, and, and going through it. And literally in the last half hour, I'm not kidding around, literally in the last, because this whole thing, honestly, this whole thing of Hafrasha Schala causing or being the impetus for someone's turn of luck, change of life, uh, significant event. It, it is a difficult equation for me. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, he's a real misnagin. I get it. You know, but it, it's a difficult association. But, but I think I may have come up with the system that you're really describing in the way you present this book. Was that a concern, by the way? I mean, you know, we don't know why God does what he does. Was there a concern that, that, that you're taking one specific thing that people are taking on for themselves and attributing that to so many people's change of lives? Yeah, so first of all, you tell me, do me a favor. You said that you came to a certain understanding. What did you come to? I want to hear your understanding. Here's my understanding. I'm actually glad you asked, frankly. Maybe a good starting point. My understanding is that any mitzvah, any mitzvah that someone takes seriously and incorporates into their life, including hafrashas chala, which of course is you know the topic of the book, can be a tremendous entree into faith and belief in the one above. And once one has that, then they start to understand why certain daily and sometimes out-of-this-world miracles happen to them and why their lives have in fact changed because they've been able to incorporate a new system of belief and emuna uh, because of this ritual that they've undertaken. And an hour ago, I don't know if I would have concluded this, but it hit me a little while ago in this studio as I was processing all of the... That's why, by the way, I'm glad Art Scroll gets me the book way in advance because it took me days to get to this point. So now that I've said it, what do you think of my point? I think your point's right. I think we should do a book about Asher Yatsar also and Atil Sidayim and... and, and, and you know, tying shoelaces of your right shoe and then your left. We could do a book like that on every, according to the shot you're giving, we could really do a book like this on every single mitzvah. We just have to find the person who adopted that mitzvah and made it their mitzvah. Well, by the way, as soon I as mean, we find that person, right, we could do that. Yeah, but I, don't know if, sure. I don't know if you're being sarcastic or not, but the ones you do. No, the truth is, it, it's true. The truth is, I'm sure there are there's, there's definitely people who, different people connect to different mitzvahs. And then, and then those mitzvahs become a very big part of their lives. That's, that's definitely true. And they see amazing Seat Neshmaya with those mitzvahs. That's definitely true, 100%. I'm going to give that to you. Um, when I'll tell you, that's, I agree with, your, with the way you're looking at it. It's for, it's for sure true. It's just Nava Ben Moshe, it, it's, a different, it's a different approach with her because she, I don't even, she didn't even have so much of an idea of what to do when she started her process. And when, when I sat down with her, I really had no idea what she was going to tell me about, like, a Frosh's Chal and how that changed people's lives. I was like you. I came to this. I was like, you know, what are you talking about? A Frosh's Chal now changed everyone's lives. What does that even mean? You know, I was like you. And, I, you know, I'm a Litvisha guy. I grew up, but even my name was Nachman. You know, and it was in Uman many, many times in my life. But the fact is, I went to Litvisha Yeshivas. That's, uh, that's, my, that's my education. So I'm sitting with her. I'm like, what, what's the deal? Nava Ben Moshe. Rebbe to Nava Ben Moshe. And so she explains to me that she, the whole story, did you read, you got a chance to read how she started? I certainly did. So really, she, was, she had no plans to even start. That wasn't even like the plan. She didn't even want to be a, a, a teacher. She didn't want to be a, a, a person giving classes. But, but it, Akadosh Baruch who chose her, Akadosh Baruch picked her out, kind of like you, if you think about it. Hashem picked you out to be Nachum Siegel. Think about it. You, you did, uh, did you always think you were going to be Nachum Siegel? Did you know that you were going to be the most famous radio personality? 
I, I don't think I don't think I, I don't think I could have predicted this. Let's put it that way. No, you could have predicted. You saw I me mean, years ago. You were writing a column for Cutchiosi magazine. <laughs> Are you right? remember that? Wow, you really have followed You're my like, career. Wow. <laughs> I, uh, yes, yes, and, and think about it. Think about how amazing it is that you, you know, you're a, you're a camp guy, you're a camp director, you know, and, and, and this camp director is, you know, you've way, like Art Raymond maybe started the genre, but you, you've gone, you've taken it way past, right? Have you, would have you ever imagined that, that a young kid from, you know, I don't know exactly where you grew up, where would you grow up, Manhattan? No, New Jersey. New Jersey. We imagine a young kid from New Jersey becomes the voice, the media voice of you know of the, of the Orthodox world. No, but Hashem had plans for you, right? And you and you uh, look back at it now, and you're like, "Wow, thank you, Hashem. That's great." Yeah, you, you, have, yeah, you, you have no idea. And you've actually given me a good reminder to always do that. You're 100 percent right. But I, I you know, well, I, I, not- I, I, I don't want to get off topic, but I have to just tie up what you said earlier. There are people that would sit with you and say to you that concentration on Asha Yatzer changed their health. I mean their physical health. And there are people, right. I'm sure you know the famous story, I'm sure you know the famous story, it's been told on my show, and frankly when it was told on my show, I preferred it would not have been, because I thought it was so outrageous for certain people to believe, but there is a story about the, the right shoe and left shoe. about somebody- I know, it's a famous story. Right. I know, I wasn't just saying that. It's a famous story about an Israeli soldier. Right. I know, it's a famous story. So I'm saying, that was what Nava ben Moshe, she really had no idea. She was going to have a who plucked her out of relative obscurity to become a person who would influence thousands of people. And, but, so what happened? So she says to me, I don't know what to do. Like, imagine Hashem suddenly says to you, and you have no experience. Imagine, let's take you for, guess, again, you, use you as an example. <laughs> let's say you never spoke on the radio, and you don't know how to do it. And then Hashem suddenly says, Nachum, <laughs> you're, you're lying in bed and you hear the voice of Hashem. Nachum, I want you to get on the radio and broadcast to your people, and you have no idea how to do it. It's, can you imagine how, how that would be for you? It's crazy. How, what would you do? And by, the, and, by the, and by the way, there's a historical precedent, because there are people in history that God has said, you must do X, Y, and Z, you know, drop everything and do this immediately, and they were nervous about it, as we right. know. Yeah. Right, and that's what happened to her. And so she she's looking. What she she said, I need something that is going to. Get, what's a mitzvah that it's really going to talk to women? I could use as a springboard to really help to carve them, but it has to be a mitzvah that's really going to talk to them. It can't be too hard, right? You know, and, and it has to be something that's kishmak. And she says, like everyone loves chala, and it's something which is one of the woman's main mitzvahs. So it's really a no-brainer, and you don't you don't have to start wearing a skirt. It's not too demanding, and it, and it changes the house, and it makes the house feel warm and happy to be in when the child is baking in the oven. And she's like, it's, and she came to this brilliant idea, like it was way before the whole idea of challah bakes and you know the Shabbos. Well, well all, all the challah, all the challah bakes are outgrowths of this. I'm sure it came from this. It, oh, yeah, I'm not going to all her, but yes, definitely her students have gone on. She's done so many of them, and her students have gone on to do them around the world. And yes, a lot of it started with this idea, but it was Hashem who put this idea into her head to focus on this one mitzvah, and like she had no idea that it was going to do like be like like that's what you said. What is it? Life changing? She had no idea that that right. was going to happen. Yeah, I, that she's b- going to take a lady. Yeah, I'm not minimizing her accomplishment. I mean, it, it is absolutely amazing. I, I think uh, I think you know to validate what she chose, and again, this is what I got from the stories that you tell in a tiny taste of heaven to validate you know uh, the mitzvah that she chose i never realized until reading your stories how community based and i don't mean specific community i'm saying the camaraderie the socialization everyone getting together to do something that has meaning and if in fact they've incorporated as many people have over the years that you know the mitzvah of Hafrash's challah can be dedicated to someone who's ill or dedicated to the situation in Israel when, when there's trouble, etc. You know, that gives you a really, you know, positive, collective mission together. And just that alone can be life-changing. Just the fact that you're with all these people, you know, with this common goal, common interest, and, 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 and common desire to, to get closer to the one above, that could be a very inspiring experience. I can't agree with you more. I can't. I cannot agree with you more. Uh, I'll, I'll just to back you up here. Um, you know, I don't know if you know. I, 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 I good, a very good friend of mine, Elliot Rabbi Eli Stefanski. You know, started that Yomi Shira Mapi Chemish, and yeah. it started small. 
but it's that over like this three thousand people watch it. It's probably the biggest coffee machine in the world, and it started. And, and what do people say over and over and over again? We just had the CM Erevin, I was the MC, uh, uh, two nights ago, and. Uh, 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 there's hundreds of people watching on Zoom, and everybody says the camaraderie of being part of something, of being part of something larger than themselves, right. being part of that family. And Nava did that. She created a family of women who are dedicated to the mitzvah of challah, and it influenced them. And she says, this is what she said, it's something amazing. She said, you know, when you bake a challah, and you take it out of the oven, you can't just cut it up, spread butter on it, or hummus on it, and eat it. It doesn't work like that, she said. When you take it out of the oven, you have to you have to, like, put it on the table. But the table can't just be a table. It has to be set beautifully. And when it's set beautifully, it can't, what you say, everyone has to sit around it. And then once everyone's sitting around it, you say, everyone has to be kiddish. You have to be kiddish. And then you serve that challah. And it, it just, it's not just a piece of bread. Right. It takes on a, a much greater, it's much greater than some of its parts. And that's all. She had no idea that she was getting into this when she started. And that's the beauty of it. Hashem really showed, picked it, you know, gave her this idea. And it just took on a, a life of its own. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And it's so true when you think about it, the, the preparation for royalty, right? Shabbos Kala. Yeah, you're, you're, Shabbos. Pre- you're, prepare- yeah. you're preparing for royalty and doing something that's relatively simple. Again, not to minimize the hard work that it is in the kitchen. I get that. But for the, the experienced women out there, the experienced challah bakers in general, men or women, you know, it's relatively simple. And, uh, and they're able to do this and to enhance everyone's Shabbos in this way. And boy, I don't know if she's responsible for it, meaning uh, Nava Ben Moshe, but uh, I mean, I the, the you know I I've been around for a while, and I think in the last twenty years, there's so many more homemade challahs out there in the Jewish world, and the bakeries must be upset that I'm saying it, but they all they also still have their share. They also still have their share, but a lot of people now have you know trans ha- have transformed their pre-Shabbos experience to include. Uh, baking challahs, simple as that. Yeah, what, what can I tell you? You know, for years, I never, I never made a thing out of it. My wife, after we were married like twelve years, she decided she wants to start baking. Oh, there you go. There's something about it. Yeah. What can I tell you? It's just really nice when wife is in the kitchen Thursday night and the daughters are there and they're making challahs and they're braiding it. You know, it's really nice. It's really nice to watch it. I'm in my office writing and I come out and I see everybody braiding the challahs. It's just a really beautiful thing to see yeah and it's uh, and and that's i think part of it i think as people get older and their kids are getting older they love watching their kids enjoy that challah there is nothing like after that first bite friday night when someone gives that mm-mm or someone <laughs> someone signals this homemade challah is absolutely delicious so it's also part of the whole you know asia's Heil theme you are you know mm-hmm. right, right at the beginning of the meal the first thing you're doing is giving such an amazing compliment uh to the to the uh to the uh, leader of the household uh, the mom who's made the challah. A uh, book is called The Tiny Taste of Heaven, Amazing Stories About the Power of, Fr- of a Freshness Challah. Okay, now that I've done this part, and I've agreed with you on all this, now, before you roll your eyes and say, Siegel, come on, so now what do you think of a story like the one you tell about the gentleman in the warehouse who just avoids a terrible accident, right? One of the pieces of equipment explodes, uh, the pieces fly in all different directions and literally miss him in those few seconds after the explosion. And now he's convinced that it's the prayer sessions that have emanated from his wife's involvement in the mitzvah of Hafrashas Chala that saved him in that warehouse. So now, so now how do you judge if there's such a thing? How do you evaluate that type of statement? And you do, and you well, write, and you write it that way, right? Am I right? That, am I, I am I portraying it properly? That you that that's... you're portraying it properly. You're portraying it properly. Look, if if he if he knows his wife is praying for his good, for his safety, right. for his well being, for his atzlocha, if he knows that, right? So so why shouldn't he feel that his wife's prayers are protecting him? If that's how he's going to work, and that's what he knows his wife's focus is, then. Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense that his wife is, you know, if he's praying for his wife and his wife is praying for him and they're both davening for each other and it's a perfect marriage, right, in that sense, that, that the couple is shechina shruya b'neim, right, when, when, there's, when there's, you know, when the shechina is, when, when a couple are happy and there's harmony in the house and each one is praying for the other one, and then, you know what, if the shechina is shruya b'neim, yeah. It makes a lot of sense that he, that his life would be saved by that. I, I, I to me, it, it really resonated. Actually, it's beautiful. You know, in the story you tell toward the beginning of the book, which is essentially you know part of the bigger story of how this whole thing started, there was a woman who was 
you know, who really wanted to make the bracha. You, you know what I'm referring to. Any yeah. any reader yeah. who picks First up the book, right? Any reader who picks up the book will see what I mean. And and it reminded me, you know, one of my rabbeim in high school said, everyone has to have a mitzvah that they that they that they feel is theirs. You know, for he, and we said, what do you mean? Obviously, he was experienced in life already. We were just kids. And he said, well, there, there are people that, you know, there, 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 are, there are people who are mockbit on the Lul of an Estrig they buy. You know, everyone buys an average Lul of an Estrig or whatever, but some people, you know, really want to have the best one. That's their mitzvah. That was the example he gave. And I think that that woman in that story who so desperately wanted to make a bracha on Afrash's challah, I don't know what she does with the rest of her life. I have no idea. I don't know what kind of background she has. But I, I sort of felt like this was the... The, she was getting the message that my, you know, Rebbe in high school was, was transmitting. She felt close to this mitzvah. She felt like it's hers, and she felt that she can make a difference observing it. And and I think that that's why she was so sad when things were not going exactly the way she wanted it to. Right. Especially because she originally didn't want to come. Right. <laughs> yeah. She right. didn't want to come. Right. She had no idea. And then and Hashem like, kind of gave her the, the message, you should come. And she found the key, and she's going to finally do it. And then like, the door got stopped. Face and she's like, "What does she not want me to come?" It's, it's like mixed. It's like mixed messages, you know. It's like she doesn't understand what's going on. And it's also like what you said, similar to what you said, the idea that every single person has their own masechta, right? You're supposed right. to have a masechta. If you're masechta, right. take it with you to Shemayim. Right. It's the same idea. Just backing you up over here. I like bringing a raya to what you're saying. Same idea. So funny you mentioned that because <laughs> some of my boys, you know, they, they could they could speak about Talmud and, and speak about issues in the Talmud, but when it comes to a specific mesechta, it's they're off the charts with that one. Like they, you know, they practically know know certain things by heart. That always, you know, and I say to myself, yeah, that that's the one that they've you know really gravitated to over all the years. That's their mesechta. That they which mesechta the. Which was Sechta well, the, 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 uh, connection with the son that I'm referring to, and it really could be more than one. Really, the way they always talk about it is Megillah. I mean, they, they talk about Megillah. Like Megillah. They talk about Megillah as if they learned it two hundred times. So you know, uh, and you, which which Sechta do you like? Do you connect to the most? I I think it probably is Kiddushin, and I'll tell you, but more of a practical more of a practical reason. It was the Masechta I learned probably during the time of my life that I was most into Talmud study, and. For some reason, not not in the recent um, uh, cycles, but in the earlier in my life cycles of Dafiomi, it seemed whenever we got to Kedusha, that was the time that I started picking up Dafiomi. I'm, I'm talking about like 30 years ago. So I, for some reason, for some reason, and look, I have a wonderful married life, so maybe that's part of the reason. I don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but that maybe was... your wife was what? Maybe your wife was one who told you Nachum. Come on, what's with the Daf? <laughs> exactly. Come on, if you want a Kedusha to keep going forward, you better pick up a Kedusha. I mean, come on. <laughs> Pick up the Gemara. Just learn a one daf a day, son. Oh, now, don't start me on trying to get me into Dafyomi. All my colleagues have been trying that for years, but we'll see. No, I was, I was actually quoting a song. Yeah, I remember. That's Country Ussie, right? Right? Oh, good. You know. Yeah, it's a Country Ussie song. Sure. Hey, come on. I better have a little, a little uh, uh, acumen when it comes to that area. Now, I didn't get to every story. Can you, and, and I don't know if I'm being fair to you because, frankly, you may have written this a year ago. I don't know what your timetable was. Do you remember the one that's cited in the, in the blurb about the single cigarette that made a woman Shomer Shabbos? So that's a – yeah, so she – it's, it's – I, I, I would actually focus, if, if it's okay with sure. you, that story is, is – is like uh, Mimi. She liked that line, so she chose that story. But there's one story in particular that I, I wanted to. Yeah, please. It, it's not even so much about Afrasha's Kala. I mean, there's a million stories about Afrasha's Kala, but there's one story that I think is such an important life lesson. And that's and, and Nava told me the story. She said that she has this this student who was who was you know back in the day a long time ago. But they, and you have like a lot of kids, little kids at home. And you don't have time to, to see your husband that much, and you're going out with your husband. You finally make that that date right. to go out with your husband in the afternoon. You know, if you remember back in the day before yeah. your kids were young, Malcolm, sure. you know, and you're finally going out. And she says, you know, and this, and this lady's going out with her husband, and and they, they make a time to go for lunch, and they have like like an hour and a half, let's say, to right. go, an hour and 45 minutes. Right. And uh, so they go out in, in L.A., and they're, and they're on the way to the restaurant, so, so they thought maybe we'll pick up some water, because in just in case we want to take a little walk with each other after the meal, so we'll have some water to, to so so the husband drops the wife off outside the restaurant, right. outside the supermarket, and he and there's no room to park, so he says, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk around, I'm gonna drive around the block and I'll come get you and I'll be back soon. So she's she goes into the supermarket and she she buys, you know, a few bottles of water and she comes out and she's waiting for him outside. And he is not coming. 
he's just not coming. And she's waiting outside, and she's like, you know, okay, five minutes go by. You know, how long does it take to go around the corner? Right. And she's like, five minutes go by, ten minutes go by, and she's like, she's starting to get a little hot under the collar. She's like, doesn't he know that this is our, we only have limited time, right. and this is our date? Right. Where is he? Right. And she's thinking like, oh, he probably met someone, and he stopped, and he's Schmoozing. talking with the guy. <laughs> and she, her brain is starting to go into all, and she's like <laughs> getting all mad. Right. And, then she, and she's like, 15 minutes go by. 15 minutes, and we have an hour and 45 minutes. It's like the whole, it's like the cutting it through. I'm not, and she's getting really mad. And then she says to herself, this lady says, she looks up at Shemayim, and she says, Hashem, is this a test? She says, if this is a test, I'm going to get 100. Yeah. And then she says, I am not going to say a word when he comes. And he drives up, let's say, four minutes later. Now, normally, the wife will get in the car, and she'll be like, how could you have done that? <laughs> Take 20 minutes. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Don't you know? Or alternative, the alternative uh, to that is freezing the guy out. Right. She shuts down. She's not talking. Are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> fine. I said I'm fine. But, but what's wrong? If you don't know, I can't help you. <laughs> so she says, I'm not going to do scenario A, and I'm not going to do scenario B. I am going to be the same happy person I was when I got out of the car to get the water. Right. If this is a test, I'm going to get 100. Right. She gets in the car. She does not address what happened. She ignores it. She says, I'll come back to it in a day from now. Tomorrow, the next day, I'll come right. back to it. I'll ask him what happened. She completely ignores it. And she says, this story where she, because she says, at the end of the day, who's the loser if you don't ignore it? Like, who's, gonna, who's the winner and who's the loser? The, the test, you know, it's a test. Grab it and get 100. She says, this story, right? So many of her students have, have, have told her they've used it in challenging moments. Wow. And they, where they've been like, who knows, uh, crazy stories. This lady was cashing her house. And she was taking the dishes down to cash it. And she fell off the ladder. And she was like, you know, and, and she's like lying on the floor. And she says to Hashem, Hashem, is this a test? Like, I'm finally cashing my house. And, and I fall off the ladder. I'm going to get 100. It's something which I said to, I, I'll tell this, you know, you could take this concept, it's such an easy concept, but it, it's like at the moment of challenge, you, you look up to Shemaim and you say, is this a test? If it's a test, I'm going to get 100. And then it changes your whole perspective, and it's like it takes you out of that cycle you're in and to a different place, and you can totally change the whole thing and, and like, save the day. Well, I thought that was such a great message. I could tell, it just blew me away. I could tell you that you, uh, I am sure, I'm going to now hear from somebody later today who incorporated this into their day today because this happens, you know, this happens to somebody every day. What you just described, and they're going to tell me that your words and the way you told that story certainly helped uh, alleviate the pressure and tension of the situation. So, call like a voter myself. So, you chose a good one to tell us, to say the least. I went through the book again, you should know, in preparation for the interview. Wow. And I was like thinking, what do I want to talk about? And I said, this story, I feel it's, I mean, there's so many good stories, really. It's such a beautiful book for anyone who's into challah. It's really, and it's, it's really a beautiful, how often are there books written for women? You know, it's not that often, you know? Like a book that's written, this is for women. It's a beautiful book written for women. Anyone who likes challah, any woman, you know, you go out there, buy your wife a gift, buy your daughter, you know, buy your mother. It's something like, it's really for women. It's very special. And I said, and this, is, this concept of Hashem, is this, a, is this a test, is something that comes up to every person, man, woman, child, all the time. All the time. Oh, by so the way, different ways. what was the relationship between that story and challah, by the way? Did that lesson come from a challah encounter? It was a, it, it did it, 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 it was, she said it wasn't necessarily a challah right. lesson. It was a lesson that, that was right. a, a life lesson. And she also, you know, she incorporates that in her classes. Their classes aren't just, you know, eventually, you know, it's funny because when you start in the beginning, you have a certain cause, you have a certain line, and then everything's college, everything's this. But as you get older, <laughs> you, you become much more relaxed, and you, and you can branch out. And she's like, she gets up to talk today, and she sings, and she's, she's, she, she really has it today, you know. She's a, she's a singer, Nachum. She's great. I never heard her sing, but she's like, my husband always tells me, Nava, sing more and speak less. <laughs> 
That's, yeah, I guess it, someone someone once said to me because uh, someone complained that my radio show, you know, in year twenty didn't sound like it was. You know, I had not incorporated certain things I had in year ten. And a radio expert said, "Yeah, radio shows evolve. You don't do you yeah. know in year twenty we did in year ten, and and so too with her, as you're saying. You know, she's learned what to incorporate, what to emphasize, and to branch out, as you said. And boy, is it important to branch out. Uh, Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, the book is called A Tiny Taste of Heaven: Amazing Stories about the Power of Hafrasha Schala. We're recommending it highly, and of course, our friends at ArtScroll are making it really easy on everybody. If you listen to this show, you've got a big break. You've got promo code RADIO. It's available to you, as are the other 3,000 titles from ArtScroll, at 20% off with no minimum and free shipping. Go to ArtScroll.com, ArtScroll.com. Order what you want, but certainly put into your basket Rabbi Nachman Seltzer's book called A Tiny Taste of Heaven. Always a delight to speak to you, Rabbi Seltzer. Continued Hatzlacha. I'll take this. Thank you. I'll take this opportunity to wish you a happy Hanukkah to you and all of our brothers and sisters in Israel. And thank uh, you. Doc. I just wanted to tell you one thing before we get off. Sure. Uh, we were supposed to talk on Zoom today. That's right. Originally, I was told with right. Zooming. Right. But I wasn't able to do that, and the reason is because I'm actually now standing in the house of Rabbi Yitzchok David Grossman of Migdala Emek, going over the, the the book that I wrote about him. And that is why I was unable to actually Zoom from my office today, because I'm in Migdala Inc. right now. So stay tuned for our upcoming interview. I, the reason I, I'm sitting here stunned with my mouth open, because I cannot wait to read that book. When's it available to the public? It's, I just finished writing it. We're, we're talking about a good 470 pages. Is that before pictures? It's going to be a big book, and it's going to be uh, something... Nachum, this is something, again, every book with its thing, it's, I just wanted to let you know, just to, you know, it's like a promo for the future, you know? Yeah, but believe me, when you're on, we're always talking about multiple books, as I told you. You know, last time you were on, we also spoke about two or more. So there's no reason, yeah, no reason not to mention it. it. But I cannot wait to delve into Roy Grossman's life. My gosh. Yeah. And I'm just thinking some of the things I might have said if you would have asked me about him, I have a feeling someone else already said it. So I think everything about him is probably in that book already because just so many amazing things about him. But we're not going to do this now. We will save it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it when the book's out. That's right. No. That's You're going to have to wait a little more. Are you with him? Are you at? His, are you in Migdal Amek now? I'm actually. I'm actually in his dining room right now. The reason. Yeah. The reason I'm asking is because I mean I'm sure you've had this experience if you wrote a book about him. Just walking around the neighborhood with him, you see how beloved he is. All you have to do is take a yes, right. take a stroll yes. with him, and you see how beloved he is. It was one of the things I was so happy when I was with my boys when they were younger to visit him up there. One of the things I loved was just showing them the respect and love that people have for him when they simply casually meet him in the street. It's amazing. Nachum, do you want to say hello to him? That would be that would be incredible. Okay, Rav Yitzhak David. Ani ala radio, im Nachum Sigo, mi America, over till we get the chashalom. Say that? Okay, Rav Nachum, I'm putting on Rav Yitzhak David. Thank you very much, Rabbi Seltzer. Much appreciated. Rabbi Grossman, it is always a pleasure to speak to you. I can only imagine now during COVID-19 how much more difficult it is for you to help all the families in need, both in Migdala Amek and around Israel. I'm sure it's a very, very big challenge. I'm going to ask our listeners to help you as much as possible. People should help Rabbi Grossman as much as possible. And and Todaraba, thank you so much for joining us. And and Chanukah Sameach. And I look and I look forward to seeing you to seeing you. Please God in Israel. Rabbi Grossman, everybody, unbelievable. Wow, thank you, Rabbi Seltzer. Not giving up an opportunity to get a kind word from Rabbi Grossman for uh, for me and for all of our wonderful listeners. Unbelievable. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. A Tiny Taste of Heaven. That's the book. Order it. Enjoy it. More coming up. You're listening to a, what is today? Tuesday. A Tuesday morning edition of JM. We keep talking about Hanukkah. Let's do this one. A Tuesday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. Reminder, all Art Scroll titles, including his, available now at artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code RADIO for free shipping, 20% off, and no minimum. Use promo code RADIO. Next up, David Wallace, koshertravelers.com. He's uh, got a big role 
in our trip to the UAE. This was my conversation last week with David Wallace of koshertravelers.com here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. JM the AM, good morning. Well, uh, with all the things we talk about every single morning, we've incorporated a whole new uh, discussion, a whole new conversation over the last few days, and that's our journey to the UAE. As I keep saying, it's only COVID that, God forbid, can uh, can ruin this trip. At least, you know, in advance, I would say that. Obviously, who knows what could happen? But uh, COVID's the one thing that we are um, that we are trying to handle as best as possible. Like anybody who's traveling anywhere around the world. And uh, assuming all that works out, which right now, thank God, it seems it will. Otherwise, we wouldn't have announced this. We'll be at the UAE. We'll be in the United Arab Emirates on the 8th, 9th, and 10th of December uh, broadcasting live. And uh, bringing this story, this story with uh, people from the uh, community in the UAE, from Dubai, and um, uh, many dignitaries that we're going to have there. Uh, from Israel, plus our own folks that are going to be able to toss in their impressions of the of the visit to um, to the UAE. We're going to have all of that and to bring it to you, our amazing audience, uh, December 8th, 9th, and 10th. So one of the partners that we are already working with and has enthusiastically uh, come forward to support our journey is uh, an outfit called Kosher Travelers. Kosher Travelers, they invite everybody to discover, connect, and enrich. And they've got an entire lineup from uh, Pesach 2021 to summer vacations to deluxe cruises uh, to Israeli tourism, obviously when that picks up again, when that exists again. And now they've added an entire amazing uh, a schedule for tours of the United Arab Emirates. Uh, in fact, those of you out there who are... Um, who are um, thinking about what to do in January during Yeshiva break. Listen carefully. The 21st through the 28th of January, Kosher Travelers will be in the UAE. Live from Israel, David Wallace, who leads Kosher Travelers and koshertravelers.com, is with us via telephone. A pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning, Nachum, and listeners. I, I would have to imagine... That this is a uh, th- this is not a um, an easy time for people in the travel industry. Uh, a challenge. We keep using the word challenging about COVID nineteen. For someone in the travel industry, I would probably uh, you know say challenging times ten. Uh, and therefore, with that in mind, I am extremely impressed with what I've found on your website. All the uh, different plans you still have. For late 2020, for early 2021, for Pesach, for the summer, etc., it looks to us like you're just going full steam ahead with kosher travelers. Nahum, what you said is an understatement. The fact is that uh, I, I, I can certainly speak for my, my friends and community in Israel, but I get the feeling as well for Americans and New Yorkers that there's a certain amount of fatigue that is set in, corona fatigue. People have been locked down. People have been quarantined. It's time for people to move on in a very safe way that makes travel easy and and peace of mind. And there is no better place right now on the planet to feel that safety than the UAE. And I'll tell you why I say that. You, you know what? I mean, before, 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 you, before you even tell me why, and I'm glad you're going to tell me why, I think it's important for our listeners, I have to emphasize the point you just made. Uh, I think one of the reasons, frankly, that we've scheduled this trip, obviously we want to be there before it becomes, you know, like, you know, yesterday's news. We want to be there now uh, in the weeks following the Abraham Accords. Uh, but I think one of the reasons is that one of the big components of our network is travel, as you know. million shows from Israel, plenty from the U.S., Paris, Venice, etc. I felt we just needed to get back on the road and do so in as safe a manner as possible. If we want to be safe, like people who are thinking about January vacation, like people who are thinking about Pesach, if we want to be safe, David, why is Dubai, the UAE, a good choice? I'll tell you why. Um, first of all, we are starting our first tour already for Hanukkah coming up already on the 14th of December. But what makes the UAE so special 
And I just came back from there 10 days ago. I was there for four, 10 days. You feel, you walk the street. First of all, we're, we're wearing our kippot. We greeted shalom, salam alaikum, wherever we go. So from a security point of view, number one, you're feeling already in a, in a fantastic place. And when it comes to the corona and COVID-19, the entire society is very disciplined. There's zero tolerance for drugs, you know, uh, crime. Uh, you just don't feel that you're in a place where you are threatened in any way. So when it comes to corona, the safeguards that have been put in place, so too over there, they, they're there to protect everybody. And everybody just goes with the flow. And when you go with the flow, then, you know, you can tour around and you get on buses and you, you go into the public areas and you visit the tourist attractions and you go to the pools and the beaches and hotels and the dining room. And everybody's observing the, the protocols there. You wear a mask in public areas. As soon as you sit down for a meal or a drink, you take it off. You buy the poolside or by the beach. You don't need the mask. So, you know, it's living with corona because the vaccine, as much as the, the talk in the media of the vaccine coming along, it's not going to be available tomorrow morning. Right. So if we want to wait until the vaccine comes, it'll be May, June, July, who knows when, um, and, and where in the pecking order each society, each community, each country will fit, then, you know, that's one option. But for those who uh, are less patient and have really had a, um, a hard time over the last eight to 10 months, and we all have, believe you me, we have, and no, no more than, uh, you know, the travel industry for short. So the minute we saw this opportunity, the morning after, I recall it was a Thursday night, August 13th, and uh, we were all blown away by the normalization. Uh, it was biblical proportions, really. And, uh, you know, it, just, it, it took everyone, really, everyone by surprise, including those who you will meet on the tour, the leaders of the Jewish community there, uh, the, the Chabad and the, the Creole family, and, and they were all, we were all taken by surprise. The next morning, I was already um, in touch with the locals and trying to figure out a way how to make this available. And it took a period of two and a half to three months. And, uh, and we went over there and really got to meet. We had many Zoom sessions back and forth with the, the people on the ground who were there to uh, welcome us. And uh, before you knew it, we turned around and now we're out there already uh, encouraging people to come and thank God we've had a, a wonderful take up. Koshertravelers.com, everybody. Koshertravelers.com. David Wallace is with us from Israel. We're talking about the UAE. He has a million things on the website. I mean, trips to everywhere and cruises to everywhere. But right now we're concentrating on what's happening with the UAE because they have announced a schedule that's really, really friendly to the American Yeshiva break schedule, the 21st through the 28th. Uh, they will be in the UAE with a phenomenal tour. And uh, like I said, it's the perfect opportunity for Yeshiva Break. If if those of you are like us, where after nine months you just desperately need to travel, you should seriously consider it. Um, you know, David, someone mentioned to me on Sunday, I was speaking to someone uh, from New Jersey, and they said because it's so difficult for them to get into Israel to visit their children, they are considering going to the UAE in January and having their kids fly from Israel to the UAE to visit with them. Is that an effective strategy? Is that something that logistically can go on? I think it's, it's brilliant because effectively uh, there are flights from Israel to Dubai. It's a, no, it's a green zone, so there's no quarantine on either side. I believe the same applies from Jersey to Dubai. So here you go. Both sides of the family meet, not quite in the middle, but it's, a, it's an easy three-hour flight. You know nothing that next month there are 28 weekly flights from Tel Aviv wow. heading over to Dubai, you know, fly Dubai, Alal, Israel, Emirates. It, it boggles the mind. They're expecting over 40,000 Israelis <laughs> flying over to the Emirates uh, just in the next month. It really blows the mind. And um, look, you, you did mention earlier about, uh, if I may, what Kosher Travelers stands for, and it's uh, in, enriching and enhancing and, and creating people's experience with, with the connection and, and discovering. So that's why on our particular Hanukkah tour, if I may, uh, we have a scholarly resident, David, uh, David Weinberg, who is a Jerusalem Post columnist, and he heads the Jerusalem Institute for Strategy and Security. You know, and he's going to be contributing to the tour from a perspective of the diplomatic and, and uh, developments that have happened between the UAE and Israel. And that makes it for an extra added value 
of why um, the tourism we felt that there was a place for them, rather than just go and travel on your own, which can be done as well. Right. You will see, you will find people, I mean, English is spoken on the streets, it's easy to navigate, but at the same time, people do want to go in the safety of numbers and, and feel part of a group, and where you'll have a minion every day, and you have a, a group, a, you know, a dining room, etc. Um, but the, the beautiful thing about the place is that uh, it'll be available and open for, for many people to travel uh, independently, but the kosher travelers, from that perspective, is also setting themselves up for um, organizing people, hotels, and kosher food wherever they, whenever they want to travel outside of our two group states. Got it. All right. Um, look, it's very simple, everybody. If you want to go to the UAE, or if you know people in Israel who want to go, here's your opportunity. Uh, Hanukkah week, their tour is the 14th through the 21st. So essentially it's from the fourth day of Hanukkah through the Shabbat. That's immediately after Hanukkah. So that's the 14th through the 21st. Winter vacation, perfect for the schedule for most yeshiva breaks. I know it's not all, but it's most. January the 21st through January the 28th. They have a trip scheduled in February as well. Plus, of course, they're planning uh, for Pesach uh, in uh, Dubai with a uh, high-quality Pesach program. Go to koshertravelers.com for all this info. They are partnering with us for a whole bunch of stuff we're going to be doing in the UAE, and we thank them for that. Go to koshertravelers.com, and uh, you can get all the information about uh, everything that they're doing. If you want to speak to somebody, there's the United States phone number, 646-240-4118, And And, David, it's not not nearly too late. People, they, they want to go... Uh, for that second half of Hanukkah, they should contact you today, and certainly, pe- yeah, absolutely. And people who are consider who are considering the winter vacation, uh, you're more than happy to speak with them by phone or answer any questions uh, through the website that they may have, uh, and uh, and they'll be able to uh, to get all that information. Uh, this is very exciting. I, I didn't realize, uh, frankly, until uh, a couple of days ago, when I saw your site. Uh, I know you're known for you know incredible excursions all around the world. I didn't realize you were already so ensconced in the UAE and uh, that people around the world can take advantage of it. So everyone go to koshertravelers.com, start researching what you want to do and when you want to go. And um, I'll just add, if I may, sure. uh, Nahum, that um, the, the reason you know the whole focus and, and zoom in on the UAE is taking place is because in reality, Unfortunately, today, it's one of the only safe places to travel. Europe shut down. Asia right. shut down. Right. Uh, the U.S., well, you know, we all know, you know, everyone takes their, uh, their comfort level there. Right. So what, that's what makes it so special. And I'll just add one other thing. that For our Hanukkah tour, which we have a few places left, we have a special family track, which takes the kids to the most spectacular theme parks that are available over there. In Dubai, you've got the Atlantis Aqua Adventure Water Park. You've got the, the, the DreamWorks. You've got the Motion Gate, which is like a Hollywood. Uh, you've got the IMG World of Adventure for, for kids. It, it, it's just an absolute thing. Park. And the parents, you know, this way they can split up. The kids can do their itinerary during the day. We all have breakfast together. The kids' itinerary goes off. The parents' itinerary goes off. We meet back at the end of the evening for dinner, for, for Tila, for a nice talk from one of our scholars. We're going to be having the chief rabbi there, uh, Rabbi Abadi, who uh, I believe you'll be meeting. You know, yep. we're, we're going to be together in Dubai in two weeks' time. I think it's today, two weeks. That so is correct. Exciting, T- T- today in two weeks. And yes, Rabbi Abadi has said yes, as have so many leaders in the community to join us. And we're really looking forward to bringing the whole story to everybody. And you're saying that if people are looking for the Hanukkah trip, they literally don't have to worry about their kids. They'll have plenty for them to do. Absolutely. They will have an absolute, just a total unwind relax. And I think people deserve it. You know, we've all been through a rough, rough, rough <laughs> couple of months. You have no idea, David. I'm telling you, any anybody I speak I speak to, it's like, you know, they're, they're really happy about the trip and they love the mission. But the third piece to, to it is like, you know, everyone's just got to get away for a few days at this point because this has been a really, the, really difficult few months. Did we talk about the price? Oh, go ahead. We have a minute to go. Go hey. ahead. M- mention what people need to spend. It's less than people think that they need to spend for, for these trips. Correct. For an adult out there for seven nights, all-inclusive, not the flight because people coming from around the world, so right. we don't build that in, it's $2,750 for an adult and $2,450 for a third person occupying for the kids under $2,000, 1950 
And right. that's all inclusive. It's turnkey from airport from airport to airport, I like calling it. The minute you land right. and the minute you take off, we're there to greet you, host you, welcome you. And, and together with the Emiratis, which is a very exciting part as well. I'll, I'll, let's leave something for the next program, I think. And frankly, <laughs> and frankly, we were surprised to see how inexpensive uh, the flights are. Um, right. So, so and, you know, you, what you just described, I mean, literally four people could do this whole thing for under ten grand. Um, correct. You know, if they wanted to join you for Hanukkah, and that that would include the the if they shop well, that could include the uh, the price of the flight. Yes, so. sir. Correct and direct flights. Right. I believe direct flights from yeah. New York, New Jersey, so it makes it easy. And, and the way we've structured the program is that the day of arrival, you're not missing anything. People coming in from all over, we all meet for dinner on the first night, and the touring and the program starts the next morning. Yeah, 100%. Uh, David, I thank you. We'll keep recommending you to our listeners. I look forward to seeing you in two weeks in a place that last week you and I never thought we'd be meeting at. <laughs> Frankly, yeah, who would have believed? Eh? <laughs> who would have believed it is shalom. right? Shalom, shalom, a great speaking to you, David Wallace. Everybody, koshertravelers.com. Who would have believed that? If I would have said to him a week ago that, please God, again, all everything should remain the same with the whole Corona situation. But who would have believed that we'd be meeting in the UAE and uh, speaking about all this, uh, not just over the phone from six thousand miles away, but face to face over in the uh, city of Dubai. Pretty amazing. Looking forward to bringing all of this to you, everybody, uh, two weeks from now here on JM in the AM. That was my conversation with David Wallace of koshertravelers.com. Thanks for listening in to JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up on NSN, your Nahum Siegel Network.